I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Really honored and excited to have you here today. I'm ready to pick your brain (laughs) and learn and also highlight the work you're doing. I think it's amazing on so many levels. You're many things. I mean, I think what you're renowned for is being a skills performance coach. Am I correct? Yes. That is something that I've pretty much been married to that coupled with the actual coaching aspect of it. But that's a, it's like a service component. And the way I view it is just helping young people really accomplish their dreams, you know? Yeah. Tell me more. How do you define being a skills performance coach in the way that you see it? It's interesting because, you know, we're talking about mindset and I'm really focused. I'm big on the mental, the mindset aspect of it, but the skill set obviously is crucial. But I've always been a proponent of there's no way you can improve performance by just giving or helping a kid improve their skill set because the application piece is equally as important. So they always say skill versus will. And so my thing is always being able to help a player, whether they're in middle school, high school, college, or professionally, have a great, I won't say 50-50, 100-100, an elite skill set, but also just an elite mindset because those players will be the most confident and those players will be the most productive. And so when you say skill set, you're talking about physical skills, right? But yeah, the physical skill set in particular, it has to increase in order for you to whether you're playing in college or whether you're playing in high school, like every year you should improve your physical skill set if you want to continue to do this at a high level. But I've always, from a player development standpoint, I don't think you can separate the two because if you do, what happens is you have a player who's extremely skilled, but at the same time, the mental aspect of it in the sports world, we call them soft. So you won't have that confidence. You won't have that composure. You won't have the overall mindset. So even though you're skilled, that's the parent who gets upset because they're like, my kid does all these drills. I can do all these things. But in that competitive environment, we don't see it. And that comes back to your mindset. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a way that we train the body just as we train the mind. It's the same. I mean, I know in my work, I've read Gary Mack, a sports psychologist. He's written a book. And in there, he talks about you put two athletes together side by side of, of equivalent physical ability, the one who trains their mind on mental skills, like imagery, having routines, goal setting, things like that, knowing how to use their breath to calm or invigorate them, 
that athlete is going to be better when it comes to performing in a competition situation 90% of the time, better than the one who does not, if they're of equal physical ability. Do you find that? Have you found that in your work that that could be true? I think you see it displayed best at the pro level. I think you start to see, you hear the word clutch. Oh, this athlete is clutch. Yes, yes. You hear that. And that to me, that personifies it right there. Where some athletes, they don't have a fear of failure. And that's what it comes down to. And they are going to what we say, let it rip. They're confident. And we call it the next play mindset. You know, in my book, I refer to it's the very last chapter, the D1 mindset. So many people think it's about a level of play. It's not about a level of play. It's, I say D1 mindset because you have to have those components. And so there's a level of confidence. There's a level of composure that if you take two equivalent athletes, I can just literally go to a game or if any sport. And I can tell you that if I was a college coach, I would recruit the most. Obviously, skill set has to be high, but it's confidence. I would recruit confident players more than anything because those are people who are going to get results. They don't get hung up on the distractions that many other athletes face. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So you know that I'm a mental health and sport performance coach for the Oakland Roots, a men's pro soccer team out here. We're going to grow into women's. We have a development team. We're going to grow into other sports eventually. I always talk about with my players, confidence is a skill, right? You're not born with it or not born with it. It's not a genetic trait. It's something you develop with mental tools like self-awareness, like I was saying routines, setting goals and feeling good and reassured that you are meeting those goals and process goals versus outcome goals. So the players can feel a sense of you know, accomplishment along the way to that big outcome goal. How do you instill confidence in your players? That's a great question. That's a great question. And what I do is when we talk about confidence, I work with a lot of players who are really good players but you could tell they didn't have the highest level of confidence. I've worked with a lot of players who are highly confident, but they're not highly skilled. And the way that I get a kid who is maybe not the most confident, especially in that area, I don't really go overtly into mental processes or thought processes. I go back to skill development. So we talk about first things first is that when you compete, you never compete against an opponent we gray out the opponent right away because that is the factor that will allow or the pathway to inconsistency. Okay, we play a team who looks like we can dominate. I'm going to feel great today. Oh, we play this team who looks like they're good or supposed to be. Oh, now I'm not sure. So you've allowed outside factors. So my first thing is I try to, if a parent says, like I do classes online with individual players. So if a parent says, going into this class, my son and my daughter they struggle in this area. What I'm going to do is we're going to identify the barriers first. So what are those barriers? So as a player, you may say, well, you have A, B, or C going on. So I'll notice right away, oh, this barrier right here, you're skilled, but we'll look at a game tape and we'll notice right away that you think you're doing things that you're really not. So we're going to identify those so you can see them visually And why is this happening? So typically what happens is players begin to realize, I have these blocks, these mental barriers. So for example, once they turn the corner on really understanding it's my peer group, there's no reason to have 
anxiety. There's no reason to have, you know, these hesitations about doing certain things because they're my age too. They're a boy or girl just like me. And at the end of the day, anybody is susceptible to success and anyone's susceptible to temporary failure. It's part of life. So what we do is say, okay, so if you're playing your mom and dad or you're playing me and you know you can dominate me, that's great. So that same approach should be no matter who is on the other side of you in the area of competition. So your opponent becomes great. So when you take the focus off of your opponent and you focus on maximizing, really, your competition is your potential. So what's your potential and how do we maximize it? So now we've eliminated a competitor. So what the first thing I do is we reframe the definition of compete. It's not you versus anyone else. Competing is you maximizing your potential and extreme desire. So first of all, you have to love what you do to maximize your potential. So you would no longer see that opponent. So if you were going to play against Kobe Bryant today, it didn't matter because I'm going to perform the same way. So, so once we start to get there, then we work on consistency, just being consistent. So if you're going to train, let's train at the same intensity level with the same intentions consistently. And so that step, what happens is then we start to identify, we don't block them out. We make sure that these barriers or these internal, as I call them, or external factors don't inhibit our focus or performance. So if you get in an argument with your mom before you leave for school, you get in an argument with your coach, you get a bad grade on the test, third block, but you have a big game after school. How do we develop emotional maturity so that we compartmentalize that? You can't go back and undo it. You still have a, a task at hand. So now those are barriers that generally inhibit consistency, especially with high school and college athletes. You probably noticed this too. If you notice pro athletes, this is a very interesting thing. Many pro athletes perform better on the road. And when you go back to the research, don't have to worry about with the kids or your husband or your wife or leaving someone tickets. Like you can focus. <laughs> so oh, those, you're right. You're right. You know, those factors, those internal yeah. and external factors, they're eliminated for the most part. I hear a lot of guys, oh, you'll love this. So Super Bowl is not this Sunday, next Sunday. You hear a lot of players saying, I'm dealing with that now. When I get to LA, I don't have to deal with it. I'm dealing with all that. My agent, my management, I don't want to have to deal with that. You notice LeBron every year in the playoffs, he goes off in social media. Like, that's what we talk about. So when we learn how to manage those internal, external factors, then you can be consistent. And I call that emotional maturity. So learn how to compete. We redefine that. Then I think, especially with high school, college athletes, it's that the training now has to have meaning. So when now you train intensely and more directly, it's amazing how that improves confidence in games. And I always tell players and parents, you're never in control of the results. You never. Steph Curry goes two for 20 from the floor. But he still is very confident because we're not in control of the results. Yeah. It's the process. That's right. That's right. So that's how we build that part. And then from there, you don't have to teach confidence because confidence is the result of those two. When you really learn what compete means, you really learn that it's not about your opponent. 
It's about yourself, maximizing your potential. Then you start to become consistent and you learn how to attack and you learn how to identify those internal, external factors and you're consistent. And then competing consistently leads to confidence. It's a natural byproduct. And I've seen it my entire life. Mm-hmm. No, I like it. I like. I think those are important aspects. And really what you're saying is that the athlete is empowered to develop their own situation, to create their own environment, to play in, whether it's internal, external, at home, at school, on the courts. You've heard this a lot, controlling the controllables, like being able to manage that, the hotel tickets, the plane, the agent, all that stuff before you're in the moment so that it's off your plate and not anything to be distracted by. So I think that's, those are all great tips. When you talked about, there's three components here I want to touch on more. If there's any athletes out there right now listening who want to be attractive in the recruitment process, you talk about the mindset that if you are at a combine or a tryout or a place where the athletes are performing in front of college coaches, pro recruiters, like what do you think would be important for them to focus on and show that they are someone that they and their family are worthy of being recruited? Oh, great question. It's a lot in that question. It's a lot. Uh, it's not one thing, but it is a mindset. So here's the thing, especially in basketball, and my best friend, his son is actually signing today. He's going to sign a letter of intent. Congratulations. You know, and I just text him, congratulations. He's in Arizona because that's where I grew up. And he's going to go to Air Force to play football, which is a big honor. So if you're in basketball or if you're in football, I'm sure in soccer too. So if I'm a coach and I go to a workout, if I go to see you play in the summer and I don't have much time to spend at your court because there are other, you know, your field, a lot of other games and athletes I need to look at, parents get mixed up because they are focused on the result. How many goals did you score? How many points did you score? I can tell you right now, college coach does not care. Well, they want you to have the ability to do it, but when they come watch you, that was a question, and it's overused, but it's true. They want to see the excitement, the exuberance, not emotion, but the focus. So we talk about how do you approach it? Are you serious with your warm-ups? Are you locked in? Are you encouraging your teammates? Are you bringing positive energy, literally, to that team? Are you someone who just elevates people around you by your sheer presence? So what does that look like? I always tell players, when you're in warm-ups, be focused, shoot game shots, have a sense of professionalism, like you're taking it serious. And then here's the thing, when they see you actually play or in the tournament or in a combine, do it with all your heart. Like empty your tank, like be engaged. So I have this graphic, it's an infographic. And there are three E's. So they go like in a, in a recycling arrow pattern. Okay. You have to bring energy. So we define... This is what I tell them when you ask that question. This is what we talk about, what attracts a college coach. I'm not talking about emotion. That's the rah-rah. That wears off after the first two minutes. But energy, it's that mental focus. You have to bring that energy, whether you're slapping five to your teammates, whether you really are locked in, and you're in the moment. And that energy is translated into effort. That's what I'm saying. Give it all. Like, your effort, college coaches... They do not teach effort. That is a prerequisite. Like, you have to be someone who has a speed of a Usain Bolt, 
the athleticism of Jordan, like, you know, the skill set of, you know, the soccer player, I forget his name. Lionel Messi or Ronaldo Messi. 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 Okay. So you have to be exceptional for them to say, you know what, we're going to take it. We're going to have this player is so good, we'll deal with it. That's rare. So to make a college coach look at you and say, man, we need to know more about that player. We need to maybe get that player on our recruiting board. You better have energy, which translates to effort, which leads to enthusiasm. And those three E's will say automatically, man, this kid's engaged. Because you got to be engaged. You have to be totally engaged. So that's why you see some players start the game off really into it. I call it elevated engagement. And so those E's lead to being engaged, which is elevated engagement. So only the elite players have elevated engagement. No matter what's going on, they're in the moment. And that's what a college coach recruits that because that is viewed as confidence and not cockiness, not arrogance. That is the presence that you, they say, man, this player is a glue player, glue guy, glue girl, because they bring in these intangibles. So while all the parents are saying, hey, you didn't score but six points today or you didn't score a goal. And did you see the defense? Did you see the impact? Did you see the assignments? Did you see all the things that led to this team winning? That can't be quantified in a box score. But those are things that college coaches recruit. That's so important. It's so valuable. Everything you're sharing, you know, those E's. I want people to check you out on your website. Make sure that they check out your infographic for the players and for the parents. The parents also need to know that it's a process over outcome, that what they say impacts their kid. And so make sure you're saying the right thing, parents. <laughs> and you know what the process is and you know what the coaches are looking for, like what you said. Because those E's, I'm going to add another E, and I said it earlier. It's if all that leads to empowerment. Like it's all on the athlete. They are in charge of their experience. They are empowered to impact how they're seen. Like you said, these intrinsic abilities, energy, enthusiasm that lead to confidence are all super important. And they're things, effort, they're all things that you bring, that you have the power to bring. And then they're seen. My daughter is a freshman in high school and she plays high-level softball. So, you know, we're, we've been talking about college. She's going to go regardless whether she plays or not or what level is up to us and her. But I'm always like, did you have fun? Did you put 100% effort in? Did you work? I didn't say, did you hit a run? Did you hit? Did you whatever? That's going to come, like you said. That will come. I had to learn that as a parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, not to interject here, but yeah, of course. First of all, I'm going to be honest with you. Every mid, I think it's mid to late summer, I'm glued on college women's softball on ESPN. Nice. I love nice. like Oklahoma, Florida, all yes. those teams that are in there. Yep. Arizona UCLA, State, let's go. UCLA, uh -huh. um, Pac-12 schools. Yep. I absolutely love it. Because That's awesome. You don't have a margin for error. You know, like every play counts. Every pitch matters. So that's what I love about it. <laughs> I love sports, but I, I love that. And it's a very cerebral game, right? Very you better be engaged. You yeah. better have a game. If, whoa, you slip for a minute. Yep. That's wow. right. That's true. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. But yeah, but thank you for that. I appreciate that. I love it. And you know, one of the things that I think all parents want, but they kill it, they destroy it. It's not intentional. It's not intentional that they do it. They want their kids to be confident. 
And there were two things that I demanded from my kids. If you're going to play sports, good attitude and effort, because you can control those. And a lot of parents kill the confidence because they don't do what you just said. Sometimes you've got to make sure the kid loves it. And you can help a kid love something by doing what you said. Like, I wish I would have did this more to my daughter. Because I'll be honest, I love watching my daughter play basketball. Like, she's a college player now. And I love watching her play basketball. And just telling your kid, they play with a good effort. They play good attitude. Just, you know, I just love watching you play, man. You did a great job. Even if it's not your result, you'll be all right. You never play that bad all the time. Or, but it's all right. You will get better the next game. Like, take the pressure off. And I'm telling you, like, I go over this in the book. And this is something when I'm speaking, when I do my parent sessions, this is something that happens quite a bit. I have mothers and fathers that actually go to tears. And I say, you know, one of the things that I want to help them with, because I've been through it with both my kids, is that the chapter called The Ride Home. So a lot of parents say, you know, I completely destroyed my relationship with my kid. You know, I had a dad almost going to tears. This guy in New Jersey, he was like, my son's in college and we really don't speak. Well, that happens everywhere when I speak. Mothers and fathers. The thing is, is that if they play hard and they have a good attitude, our job really is to be there, not just generally encouraged, but our job is to be there to help them embrace the bad games. Because when they have a bad game, that's a great thing because that means it's going to be growth. You can go back, you're going to lock in, you're going to be more intent upon playing better, but it shouldn't be pressure. Right. You know, my daughter used to want to ride home with her friends after a bad game. Did you drive separate from mom? If I did, I'm riding with mom. And that's the reality of it. But we all grow. So my thing now is, like you said, I think if you have a good relationship with your son and daughter, I mean, not everything is peaches and cream, but they should want to talk about a bad game because if they have the right relationship, because it's only going to help them when you can say, you know what, if the kid is really involved, your daughter has a bad game, let's say she makes an error and it's a game-winning play and she, they lose, she'll be upset and down, but if you have the right relationship with her, she's going to be the one talking about it way more than you because she knows that it's not going to be this pressurized situation. She wants to have a spot to release it. So being able to create that environment is crucial. Well, I think what you're talking about too is to know that we are in charge of the mental health of our kids. And our mental health starts first, right? About how do we want to show up to our kids? I mean, we're all human. We want to be humans first, mothers, and then our kids be our kids, like to know that we love them unconditionally, that they're not defined by how they perform. If they're kind, good teammates, have fun, then that's all we ask. But And don't be mistaken, though. You can have fun and be competitive. Like, it's not an either-or, right, Chris? Like, When you're an elite athlete, let's talk about it. If you're a college-level athlete, fun is not saying, oh, you beat me today, and let's just go have ice cream. I guarantee if your daughter's trying to play it in, in college, fun is going hard. Like, that's why companies hire college athletes. Yes. Fun, fun is trying to win. That's why they're different. Like I tell all college athletes of any sport, you know, you, you must be doing something right where people pay to come see you play. Like, yeah. you think about that. Like, that's fun for your daughter. Fun for her is working out, like getting stronger, getting faster. Like, 
what other people say other stuff is fun, for her, for an elite athlete, that's fun. They enjoy it. Yeah. And they love doing it with their teammates, right? Giving high yes. fives. You know how they do in the dugout with softball. There's mm-hmm. always something being said, some cheer. Cheer, man, they got it going, yeah. Yeah, they so do. like, that's fun. That's that's it right there. And like cheering each other on. So yeah, let's not be mistaken about what fun means at that level. <laughs> You're right. The fun for an elite athlete is completely different from someone else. That's why so many pros, they say they miss the most thing that they miss is the camaraderie in the locker room. Mm-hmm. because just that environment is so okay. unique. A lot of those players will be in each other's weddings. And I think about my college experience every day. It's something I'll never forget. And I always tell people, basketball didn't save my life because I, I was blessed. I had a mother and a father, family, brothers, sisters. But basketball sure did change my life. Yeah. And I tell you that much. And having fun is being in that competitive environment. That's right. And challenging yourself and that when you have a quote-unquote bad game, right, or a loss or an error, like you said, it is then the opportunity to relook at that, reflect. Where were you at? Where weren't you at? What do you think you need to do better in your preparation or your routine or anything going in before you actually compete? And then we take stock and do it again and implement those changes and those insights. So I think that's a really important part. If you were to say, Chris, I am D1, what does that mean? What is that mindset when you say I am D1? I am D1. What it means is, as I said earlier, it's not a level that you play. It's a mindset that you live with. So if I am D1 and I have a D1 mindset, that spans across the board with everything I do. So I'm going to compete the way we define compete at everything. If I'm in the classroom, I'm not trying to get a higher test score than you. I'm trying to maximize my ability. If I have the ability to get an A, if I have the ability to do my, you know, stay on top of everything, be on time, like I'm going to be competitive with myself in everything I do. And then I'm going to try to be consistent so people can count on me. I want to be consistent with everything I do. And that means I'm going to be confident in myself, whatever I do. So if I'm at the Division three level, can I still have a D1 mindset? Of course. And if I'm at the D1 level, is it possible for me not to have a D1 mindset? Yes. You could be there because you're super talented or you're super athletic, but you can still be a knucklehead. <laughs> we all see that. I think we've all right. seen that. Right. You know, like, you know that that player would not be here if they weren't six eight and could jump through the roof, or that player couldn't run from home from the batter's box to first base in such and such second. Like we all see athletes like that, and then sometimes it's just you mature later. So having a D one mindset, I am D one, is being a D one person. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm talking about. Those are the people who change a program. Those are the people who, when you graduate. Even if you didn't score a thousand points, even if you didn't do A, B, C, or D, everyone just has the utmost respect for you because of how you carried yourself every single day. That's being a D1 person. So those are the qualities. If you implement those throughout life, not just the sport you play, it doesn't matter what level you play at. That's right. Doesn't matter. I love it. So just in summary for parents, coaches, and athletes out there, what are the characteristics? of a D1 person. We've gone over the qualities and I'll just, 
I won't go in depth now. I do that much more in the book because of sake of time. But the way we redefine compete. Yes. Then we move into consistency. I think that's important for any type of success in life. No, you can't just show up one day and have this great day, be this great person or be truly helpful or, or just be this phenomenal athlete. And then the next day, you're nowhere near that. Like you have to be consistent. So compete, be consistent. And then that leads to the confidence because you need confidence to have any sustained success. And then when I really know that you have a D1 mindset, I use this analogy with students all the time when I go speak. When I'm prepared for a test, when I was in school, which wasn't often. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) When I'm prepared for a test, got to be honest. (laughs) Got to be. When I'm prepared for a test, I walk into class, sit down, calm. I'm ready to take the test. When I'm not prepared, oh man, I'm trying to see if I can get out of it if I'm in school or if my stomach hurt or you're not prepared. So when I know a person has a D1 mindset, especially from an athletic standpoint, that last C is composed. You're composed. You know it. As a college coach watches a game, he can just watch a player, watch an athlete. That athlete that's the most composed is generally the most prepared. When you see an athlete that's composed, like I love Damian Lillard because when he says it's Dame time, he doesn't have to worry. He shot that shot a million times. He's composed. He's never frantic under pressure. Many athletes are like that. Even if you're not the main star, your role, you're composed. And that is, so compete, consistency, and then your confidence, and then composure. Those, to me, are the four qualities that compose a D1 mindset. Because in life, if all things are happening bad, you know, obviously our children are going to be great to everyone else. When they get home, they open up to us. You know, that's just the way it is being a parent. But if your daughter is playing softball and they were up 4-1, now it's a tie game, bottom half of the last inning, and they're on defense. If they score, they lose. Other team scores. And if she's in the field, she's ready. She's in an athletic position. But mentally, this is a sign of an elite player. Things could be happening fast, but mentally, it's all happening slow. She's composed. She can process it. She's a shortstop. She sees that runner is leading off a little bit. Like She's processing multiple things at the same time so she can make the right decision. That's the last component of the D1 mindset. That composure piece is critical. So in life, what's coming at you, you can, okay, I look at my daughter. She's been pretty much a, a 4.0. Her first year, she was at Georgetown. Now she's at High Point. Still 4.0 as a basketball player, which is awesome. a lot. Because they miss a lot of class. Like a That's lot. impressive. Let people hear that. That's impressive. That has a lot to do with the system that supports her there on campus and you and your family who support her. Yeah. Sometimes I look at her, I'm like, I don't know how you do it. But ever since high school, I will get up at two in the morning. Unfortunately, she'd have to be up at 530. She's sometimes that light is still on and they're studying. Yeah. Yep. You know, like it took a discipline. But to process, man, I got a test tomorrow. I have two tests tomorrow. I have class. And then we're going to be on the road for a week. Uh, when you are composed, you can 
you calm that anxiety and you figure out how to place these things in order, you see a way, then you move and you do it. If you're not composed, you're going to have those breakdowns. You So as we learn, like you said earlier, mentally, how to handle those things in the field of athletics, oh, it makes regular life a little bit easier when you've had to juggle and deal with those things. So when you get in those big moments, not saying it's easy, but you have composure. Think about some of the games your daughter has played. And the average person being thrown in those situations, okay, do I go home with the throw or do I go to first base with the throw? In a split second, you got to be composed. Like, you can't even think of that, the average person. Prepared because you've trained on that already. You've trained on that in practice. You know the situation. You know what it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if it's this team or that, like you said, or this player or this hitter. You know where you got to go. It's either first or second. They're calling it out. You know, yep. they're calling out where the play's at. They're calling out how many outs. Like, you yep. know, they're communicating with one another. So it's all a fine-tuned wheel or whatever, machine. Yes. And they're all interwoven. Like we talked about, the energy, the effort, the enthusiasm leads to engagement. Like, all those things are interwoven. And the last part, the way that it looks, is composed. You know, when you see those athletes like a Tom Brady, Tom Brady didn't have the strongest arm. Couldn't run faster than a 10-year-old. You know, he's not a great athlete. Mm -hmm. But, man, under pressure, I just think you just got to almost say it's over. Yeah. Tom Brady and, like, a Aaron Rodgers, like, those guys, their level, Russell Wilson, their level of composure is incredible. But, like you said, it's all tied to preparation. Yeah. And so that's, to me, the last component of the D1 mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's why I could walk in that classroom in those few days I was prepared for a test and be composed because I was prepared. Yes. So, and I think what's important, again, everything you're saying, again, is so valuable that anyone out there listening, coach, parent, athlete at whatever level, that these things can be developed. These abilities are developed. You're not born with it or not. It's not a genetic trait. It's not like you're destined to be great or you're destined not to be because of who your parents are, or your grandparents. It's not that. We got to develop and train the mindset, develop and train what it means for you because each athlete, each human is different to feel confident, to build the skills and tools behind it so that it can be consistent like you're talking about. And that you know that if I do this, this, and this, those are the things I can control. I can't control what happens on the court, what happens on the field. The things I do for myself and what we do with each other as teammates is what we can control. And that's going to build confidence and a belief internally and throughout the whole team, which is just going to be conducive to like higher performance and the outcome will come. So I think this is so, so valuable. I mean, I want to ask you before we end though, like what you're a coach, you're a, a skills coach. Why the mindset? How come it became so important for you? Like so many coaches can coach and not consider it as deeply as you do, but what about your story led you to this? First of all, as a player, I'm 5'10". They listed me at six feet in college, so I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they listed me at six. So I'm going to always keep that media guy to prove I'm six uh, feet. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't supposed to be there because you think about it. Playing at a high-level Division One basketball, being under six feet, being small, you may have one per team, maybe. Now, most teams don't have anybody under 6'2 now, 6'3". So how did I get there? 
Well, you know what? My entire life is funny. I never realized I was small until probably about six years ago. I was at home with my brothers in Phoenix. That never crossed my mind because my mindset was so different. So I was always confident. So when I'm around my best friends who all played in the NFL, we grew up together. They always tell my wife, Chris was just, he thought he could do it all because I was confident. And it was the environment that I grew up in. And I can tell you, even, I'll say this, the mindset is so important to me because the mindset, to me, that's the underbelly of success. Talent will only take you so far. And when you get to equal matches, yep. your mind, you will see, you will not have success. And so when I started coaching, it's funny, when my kids were younger, and even before they were even old enough to play, when I would coach, I would take a group of players, I would transform their mindset, and their parents would be amazed that we would win. I would never have the most talented players. And then I started coaching travel teams, and we would win. We would beat teams that had guys that would be future pros. We would go to the championship. Sometimes we'd win it against teams that were loaded. Where college coaches were coming to see the other teams, but we would win because I would transform their mindset. I would give them that confidence to do things that they didn't think they could do. I remember one player would always say, I'd always say, why don't you shoot the ball from there in games? I'm afraid I might miss. So you know what I did with this particular player? I would force this player to shoot the ball from there in games. When they check out, I'd be like, I want you to shoot. It was like a 25-foot three shooting. I don't care if you miss. I don't care. Like, and then I got the entire team to say that to each other. So now the fear of failure was gone. So that's the worst person to face is someone who doesn't have a fear of failure. So when I started to play, I wanted my players, I mean, coach, I wanted my players to have the same thought process I had. I didn't have a fear of failure. I just knew I was confident. I believed it was going to happen. And it's amazing. I always say this, the difference between Michael Jordan and the average Joe, honestly, is confidence. It's mindset. There are people who jumped higher than Michael Jordan. There were people who were bigger than Michael Jordan. People who were stronger than Michael Jordan, for sure. But his mindset was so different. When everyone talks about Jordan and Kobe, they talk about the mindset. Yep. And they talk about it too. And the work ethic that is part of that mindset. And like, like your daughter doing things when no one else is watching. Because you're determined and believe in yourself and know this is for a bigger reason, a bigger purpose, a bigger cause. Yes. Because these athletes, like what you're doing is developing human beings. Because at whatever level, playing sports is going to be temporary. The highest level that they ever achieve, whatever that might be, it's temporary. And so what is left of the person when the athlete identity is gone? Well, all the skills that you learned and developed to get there, to compete at the level that you did is now, like you said, transferable into business, entrepreneurship, whatever you want to do, other aspects of your identity. Like the fact that you're focusing on the mindset is universal. It can be applied to anything and realizing that they, again, are empowered to develop that and to execute it and to express it. This is super valuable. So you're, you're much more than a coach. You're a, a master human developer. I'm still that... <laughs> I used to have it on one of my profiles as a mindset developer because I think, you know, your mindset controls your life. As they say, life is 10% of what happens to you, 90% how you respond. That's right. You can be in the, the darkest place physically or emotionally, but if your mindset is right, it's not about your physical environment. It's not. And I love 
stories of the backstory to a lot of athletes. I love it because when you look at certain athletes where they only had one scholarship offer and they were unranked, they had zero stars next to their name coming out of high school, like the wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. He had zero stars. He was like, he wasn't ranked. Now he's probably the best wide receiver in the NFL. The super fast one, Cheetah? Yeah. Yes. Tyreek Hill. Yep, Tyreek Hill. Cheetah. I just looked at an old picture of him from high school in Georgia on Max Preps. And they had all those players. You probably saw the graphics been floating around. Yep. And he was the least recruited of all. Right. I love it. It's when people blossom or when they come into their own, when they discover themselves. Like Michael Jordan. We know his story coming in, you know, didn't even start playing until it was in high school and he got cut, I believe. And so like, what? It's when people blossom and bloom and believe in themselves and are in the right internal and external environment, you know, the world is their oyster. Yes. And and all success, it's interesting because you're a veteran. So I'll be learning, I'll be following in your shoes. My new podcast is with Title League. It's a company and they're producing it. Nice. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. So I'm going to really start. I'm going to, as soon as we get off, make sure I listen to yours every week. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. I will do that. And I want to follow yours when it gets up. We support each other. We support the young people. It's all about that. That's the purpose. Never enough good information, no. in my opinion. And actually, mine drops tomorrow. Okay. But I was listening to Jay Williams on ESPN. He has a podcast called The Limits that just launched. And he had the president, Brand Jordan. Mm. And I knew this, but it was just kind of reinforced. He was in jail for 14 years. And while he was in jail, he said he knew he had to make a change. And his mindset changed. And he, who would have ever thought, basically, he's been the man to the brainchild and behind this Brand Jordan with Nike. And Jay Williams was interviewing him. And all I can say is, with every single person, when your mindset changes, your life changes. And that's proven because that's the fuel. That's why I tell kids when we talk, that first evil energy, let's not get it confused with emotion because emotion only lasts for so long. And that's where a lot of people are emotional, January 1, new goals. Okay, you look at them now, February 1, uh, because it was just emotion. It was a temporary thing. So when your mindset truly changes, it's going to empower your physical part you're going to get a response. You know, your life changes. That's why I love mindset so much. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's interesting, the emotion part. I think sport performance skills from the mental side, mindset are all connected to uplifting and improving individuals' overall mental health. We all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. It can be weaker, stronger day to day. It can be optimal, suboptimal, month to month. And that it's important, though, to know what your feelings are, to identify your emotions, know them, recognize them, but not move entirely from them. I think that's what you're saying, right? That we can know how we feel about a certain situation, like, like, oh, darn, I struck out. Identify why. Yeah. Yeah. I feel disappointed. I feel frustrated. I feel like I let my team down. Okay, we're going to recognize that. And then we're going to take a breath and be like, okay, that was a pass. Now I got to be ready for the next day. I got to be available for my team. I can't sit there in that and then move from there, right? That's important what you just said, because if not, you get stuck and those become barriers to performance or success. 
So that is so important. Like I always help kids understand what is this issue? Let's identify it. Like just like what you said. So now we can deal with it, solve it, compartmentalize it. So now you can look back forward. But many people never deal with that. They just stay. They don't know why this is happening. So that's really important. Yes. What you're feeling, because then what you're feeling dictates what you're thinking about yourself, the situation, and then how you're going to act and behave around it. So if we have skills to manage all those three steps, our mental health is going to be solid. And when we have people like you in the world who are helping develop these young humans into contributors to communities, contributors to societies, it's all good. You can't go wrong with it. That's the goal. Like I truly want to be someone who really is like, I want to serve because I think that's so important. What we do is really to serve, be someone that people can trust as like a really legitimate source of guidance and help. I appreciate that. And I think that we will end on that very important message that we are here to serve and to uplift each other, to serve in our appropriate roles as adults, as we develop these humans. I'm so glad to share the space with you and privileged to have had this conversation. And I look forward to many more. Yes, that is the ditto. Same with me and uh, continued success. I cannot wait to tune in while I'm driving and listen to your weekly podcast. I am looking forward to it. I appreciate it. And we will be sure to share all the ways that you can contact Chris if you want, his website, get his book, check him out, check out the infographic. He has a lot of value. And so we'll set that up for all my listeners for sure to have access to. And until next time, Chris, I really appreciate you. Hey, thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsypreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.